0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Taking God at His Word, we learn about the authority, clarity, necessity, and sufficiency of God's Word in Scripture. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be all over the Bible. We're actually going to be looking at, this is kind of like our anchor verse, but we're only Kind of looking at half of it, and next week Daniel's going to kind of fill in the, the next half of the verse. Um, let me just read that verse. That's 2 uh, Timothy 3 16. It says this All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Let me go ahead and read chapter, uh, verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good. Work. Let me pray and we'll begin. Father, I just ask for your help today, Lord. Father, I just ask um, not only that you would give me the words to say, Lord, but that you, through your Holy Spirit, will help us to understand those words, to apply them to our lives, Lord, that we can um, leave here today uh, with more assurance of the Word of God and its clarity and its authority. And uh, Lord, I pray that we can then. Um, Use that to discern and see um, what truth is, because we know that your word is where we get our truth. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we kind of begin a two-week series, again leading up to the book of Genesis, that we will start in um, Daniel's going to take the second half of the series, and then we'll start in uh, Genesis 1. Um, the week after that, this will be the first week in May. Um, so today and to next week, we'll be looking um, combined at, at four characteristics of Scripture. Um, they lay the essential foundation to properly apply all of Scripture. But for our immediate context, the reason why um, God just led me and He kept on, you know, just kind of pressing in on me about doing this is, is if if we don't understand what the Word of God is it, it, that it's clear, that it's sufficient, that it's authoritative. If we don't understand that, then when we open up Genesis, <laughs> the foundation of the whole Bible, um, we can go amiss. And, and we can wander off into things. And, and, and I believe that the book of Genesis will do that. I believe the book of Genesis will kind of shape some of the things that maybe we're believing that the culture has taught us, that school has taught us. Um, about the world that we live in and about the things that he Created, I believe that we'll be looking at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, when we start Genesis, and then we'll go do some other things, and then we'll come back to Genesis, right? Genesis is basically, in some um, instances, it's the same story said five different times, right? The first one being about all of creation, and then we, we focus in on Abraham and all his generation's um, to come right and as we are continuing living out those generations of those um, who have been brought into God's family into the into the kingdom of God now it, it's important because God created everything and he designed everything to work a certain way. so if if he created everything and, and we're his creatures not the creator right it, it's good of us to know how he created it because you know how many of us have tried to use things, um, that were created for a specific purpose, but we use them wrongly, and it just doesn't work out for us, right? We, we do that all the time, right? I, I think of many times when whenever I was building the race car and I'm trying to use tools that weren't meant to be used, you know, it's like this is not used as a beater hammer, but I'm using it because this bolt won't come off, right? And and it just doesn't work, right? And so there's so many things in life um, that we we see and, and live through and live with that are designed a certain way. Our relationships are designed a certain way. That's going to be a big, big contention whenever we open up Genesis. Is how these relationships, how the Bible says relationships work. And, and what with the, with the Word of God says about those. So the characteristics that we'll be looking at that, that Nate already kind of ran through is the authority, the clarity, the necessity, and sufficiency of Scripture, those are the four characteristics that are commonly held about the Word of God, right? Today we're going to look at the authority and the clarity of Scripture. I believe that we are in such turmoil today within the church um, because we have inched away from the authority of Scripture, right? We have denominations that are affirming unbiblical views of marriage whole denominations that, that are setting precedent for, for thousands upon thousands of people. And, and the reason why this has happened is because they've moved away from the authority of Scripture. And I think this is a, a very slippery slope. You know, Jesus said that if a little leaven ruins the whole loaf, right? And I believe as, as we if we continue to just inch our way, then we're going to lose what the Word of God says. And I really believe and I firmly believe that if we lose what the first 11 chapters of Genesis says, we are way off base. We are way down here. We're going to, we lose what the gospel is. So it's important for us to understand and see that the Word of God is the Word of God. It's Him speaking it. It has authority. And it has been written in a clear way. right? And we're going to look at some of those things this morning. So what I think many times happens, and and I'm guilty of it also, is man's opinions have taken the place of of God's truth. And people in their need have turned and are listening to any false authority that offers itself to them. In other words, we are why people, are we not? We are needy people. We we are, are made in His image. We want to know how things run. We consistently try to to overtake Him and, and try to take control out of His hands. And we are a why people. I, I'll never forget. <laughs> um, sometimes, whenever I was over road truck driver, I I, I had to, the opportunity to take my my kids with me. Right, and uh, we took I took Ben, my middle son. I know many of you haven't had a chance to meet him. He lives in, in Martinsburg. Um, But I took my middle son with me. We were taking a load of charcoal down to Lumberton, uh, North Carolina. And then we're going over to Wilmington, North Carolina to pick up a load of CVS um, goods to take it to the UPS place in Philadelphia. So we start out our journey. It's a a straight shot. It's like six and a half hours. And whenever you pick up that load, you know that you're not stopping until you get there. That's part of the load because it's an expensive load. So we we leave Lumberton, and Ben was a very inquisitive child, right? So he's about 10 years old, right? And so from Lumberton, North Carolina, we're trucking up I-95, right? And we finally get, I don't know, maybe some of you have been there. um, They're along I-95 just outside of Philly, south of Philly, south of the ball fields. You have an old Navy yard where they have some old ships and things. By the time we got to the Navy yard, I was out of answers, And Ben was still answering questions. Why? Why, Dad? What about this? What about that? Every time he saw something, it was asking. We are people of need. We want to know why. Now, finally, just like, look, if I'm done, I'm I'm out of answers, Ben. We gotta stop alongside the road and ask somebody else. I don't know, but I'm just, I'm out of answers, brother. It's been five and a half hours, right? But we are, are people in need, right? So, which leads me to to ask you some introductory questions. Questions that have eternal consequences. Do you accept the Bible as the Word of God? As the sole authority in all matters of faith and life? The sole authority, right? Is the whole of your thinking governed by Scripture, or do we pick and choose out of Scripture because our ultimate standard and authority is modern knowledge? Right? It's like, well, I, I'm not going to believe what the Bible says because you know, science has said this or modern knowledge has figured this out. And the Word of God just can't be true. right? Do you see why? I mean, do you pin your faith to and sub, subject all your thinking to what you read in the Bible? In other words, do you run, as, as David Powelson would say, do you put on the gospel lenses? Do you put on the lenses of the Bible and look at everything in your life through those lenses? Or is it a, a mix of a little Bible here, a little man's logic there, a little science here, a little self-help theology there, a little astrology here, a little new age thinking there? Or is it purely what the Word of God says? <clears throat> Do we see why the authority of Scripture is so important? And why when we begin the book of Genesis, it will be on the front burner. Because what are the first words in the book of Genesis? Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Seriously, there is no more basic and important question to answer today than, Do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Do you believe that it's the Word of God? Do you believe when when you're reading the Word of God that it is God speaking to you as, as Tim was talking about. Our main passage today, again, is, is 2 Timothy 3.16, where he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. So Scripture has authority because it, it is God's very, very word. Scripture has authority because it is God's very word. Grudem, who is a systematic theologian, um has a very good definition for this, what the authority of Scripture is. It's kind of what we're hanging some of of what we're looking at as far as um, the authority of Scripture on. And and it goes like this. The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. So, the authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. So, all the words in Scripture is God's words. That is what our passage says. All Scripture is breathed out by God. The idea of breathed out means produced by the Holy Spirit. It was produced. Originated by the Holy Spirit. Although men wrote it down, God is the author, right? The Holy Spirit led them. As as Tim read, it, they were carried along by the Spirit, as we'll read later. This comes to us in various forms, genres, languages. But all of it is God speaking and therefore has authority. So let's look at some of the ways God speaks in Scripture. We have in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, some explicit and implicit examples of God speaking. Explicitly, we have the easy ones, right? Thus says the Lord. (laughs) That's Him speaking, right? Jeremiah 33, 2 says, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is His name. Thus says the Lord. And there's multitudes of them. I don't have to run through all of them. In Exodus 5, 1, did I go too far? Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, "'Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "'Let my people go, "'that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness.'" See, here we kind of see, and we if you notice know the story of Moses and, and, and Pharaoh and him consistently going back to Pharaoh and saying, thus says the Lord, this is what the Lord says. And Pharaoh continually ignoring him. And we know that, yes, God is hardening his heart and Pharaoh is hardening his heart. It's happening at the same time, yes. But we we see the second half of Grudem's definition coming about. What happened that, that Pharaoh disobeyed the word of God? Well, he ended up, being swallowed up by the ocean, right? By the sea. There's some explicit ways that God is speaking. Thus says the Lord. Implicitly, implicitly, we see where God puts words in prophets' mouths. Deuteronomy 18.18 says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So there's an idea that God anoints men, he he puts the words in their mouths, and they speak for the Lord. Right? Therefore, what the prophet said in God's name is as if God is speaking. Right? As if God is speaking. The New Testament confirms this in many passages, starting with our passage today. All Scripture is breathed out by God. We've got to understand whenever our passage says all Scripture, what was the only Scripture written at that point in time? It was the Old Testament, right? So we see explicitly in the Old Testament, thus says the Lord. We see implicitly, we see that God is putting words in our mouth. And now we see the New Testament affirming the Old Testament that this is Scripture, right? And we see in Luke 24 that Jesus believed that the Old Testament was the Word of God. In Luke 24 Twenty six through twenty seven, it says, What is it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he inter- inter- interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now I've used the word multiple times here, that has to kind of bring it in to the definition and bring it into what we're talking about authority. Of scripture, And that word is scripture. What is scripture? Why does the, the, the Bible use the word scripture? Well, scripture refers to writings that are considered sacred because they contain a record of divine revelation. In other words, when they use the word scripture, they're specifically thinking God said this. Right? Peter sums this up for us and gives us a good picture. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. They were carried along by the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit carried along, sustained, propelled these men, what was written did not come from man but from God, as he carried them along. So we have Peter, Paul, and Jesus all starting with the Old Testament, all stating that the Old Testament is God's very word. Because it is God's word, it has authority. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's his creation. He has the authority. We also know that many of the New Testament writers quoted the Old Testament authoritatively. In other words, they used the scripture in an authoritative way, right, so they're, they're believing the Scripture is the Word of God, and so much so that they're they're declaring it from their mouth in an authoritative way. And and maybe you're thinking of of multiple different places in the New Testament. I want to kind of focus you in on on one, and that's Jesus. Jesus' experience with Satan, right? What did he do? He authoritatively quoted the Old Testament to beat back Satan. To fight off Satan's temptation. Something that Eve did not do, right? She did not use the word of God, what God said, right? She said, did God really say? Did God really say that, right? In Matthew 4, 4, we read, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus used this, he believed so much that this is the word of God, that if I speak it, right, it's, he's using it authoritatively. That Satan has no no upper hand at all when it comes to the Word of God. But what about the New Testament itself? Here's we've we've looked at the New Testament talking about the Old Testament. But what about the New Testament itself? It's it's part of all Scripture too, right? And Second Timothy. Paul says, uh, we, um, he says this in 2 in Timothy. We see two places in the New Testament when the writings of the New Testament is also called Scripture. Which means, as we said before, the writings that are considered sacred because they contain a record of divine revelation. It's God's Word. In, in 2 Peter 3.16 we see as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them, of these matters. He's talking about Paul. He's talking about Paul's letters here. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, and they do the other, as they do the other Scriptures. So in speaking of Paul's letters, Peter includes them with the other Scriptures. This is early on in the life of the church. Peter is accepting Paul's letters as God's written word. It's Scripture. It's, it's divine word. right? Peter is accepting what Paul is saying as Scripture. Also in 1 Timothy 5:18, Paul quotes Jesus and calls it scripture. 1 Timothy 5:18 says, "For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads on the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages." So here we see Peter and Paul both affirming that the words in the New Scripture, both in the Gospels and in the epistles, are scripture. They are God's word. They have authority. And finally, in a few places, we see that the writer in the New Testament thought his words were the very words of God. They actually believed when they were writing that this is the word. And many times we see it in, in Paul in the examples we have where Paul's wrestling with that, right? He's like, okay, this is not me saying this. This is God saying this. So don't misinterpret it at me saying it. I want to make sure you know that God's saying this, right? We see that in 1 Corinthians 14:37, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the thing I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. And in 7:12, he says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, there's him wrestling, that I, if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So you see in, in both instances where where Paul is believing that, that not only is God telling him to say certain things, but not telling him to say other things, right? He's trying to, to bifurcate, okay, this is the Word of God, and this is not the Word of God, but it's all the Word of God because it's part of canon. I know that's a circular argument, but that's the nature of it. So we can conclude that the words written in this book are God's Word in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. And again, you may be thinking, as I'm running through this, okay, all you've done is shown me where the Bible says that it's authoritative, right? That it is the Word of God. Yes, that is a circular argument. It is a circular argument. I'll give you that. Um Yes, uh, but if we appeal to human reason or to logic or to scientific truth as the authority to prove or disprove Scripture as God's authoritative word, then we have assumed the thing we appealed to be a higher authority that God's word and is more true and more reliable. So what are you going to appeal to as a higher authority about the word of God than the word of God? Because if you appeal to anything else, then you are then calling that thing higher than the word of God. You're calling it higher than God, right? Because he says that this is my word, thus says the Lord, right? And it doesn't matter what you are arguing, right? All arguments that appeal to an absolute authority must ultimately appeal to that authority for proof. Right? Otherwise, the authority would not be an absolute or highest authority. You can't say, this is, this is the absolute highest authority, and I'm going to prove that by something over here. You, you can't do that. It, it, you've got to appeal to that thing as the absolute highest authority. And we believe that the Word of God is the absolute highest authority that we have because it is God's Word to us. And God is the creator of everything, right? So we can trust the authority of Scripture. We can trust the Word of God. <laughs> we don't always obey it, but we can trust that it's true. And that's actually part of our sanctification, isn't it? That, that each day, each moment by moment that we live, we trust what the Word of God says a little bit more and a little bit more, and a little bit more. As we trust the word of God, the Holy Spirit's dwelling in us and he's working in us and he's showing us that the word of God is true. And then we step out in faith, faith in what Christ has done and all that the word of God says. And then we overcome sin and we put it behind us as we repent and turn from it. But if this is just suggestions, if there's some other higher authority that we can appeal to, then this isn't, Truly the Word of God. This isn't authoritative. There is no authority here. If we can go somewhere else and say, oh, but because of this, we're going to interpret this this way. We can't do that. We lose the authority of Scripture if we do. And then we lose the whole Gospel. Then the accounts of Jesus, is it just a good story? Or is it truth? So we can trust the authority of Scripture because Scripture is the very Word of God. And there is no higher authority to appeal to than God Himself. Again, why is that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And thankfully, God has designed the Bible that it is clear. It is clear. The second characteristic of Scripture is clarity. Not only is it authoritative, in other words, it has authority, but it is also clear. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14 says this. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it too beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over to sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. Obviously, this is Moses speaking to the Israelites, actually God speaking. Moses is making the argument that obedience is possible because God's word is near It's not hidden. It's hidden in their hearts. It's not far from them. They have it. And how do they have it? They have it because of of Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So scripture was written in such a way that a mom and dad can teach it to their children. And their children can remember it. It is clear. Is some of the the scripture difficult to understand? Absolutely. (laughs) Peter says as much. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. That's what Peter's talking about Paul's writings. There's some things in this letter that are hard to understand. But Peter said they are hard to understand, not impossible to understand. As Luther put it, if Scripture is obscure or ambiguous, what point is there in God giving it to us? Are we not obscure and ambiguous enough without having our own obscurity, ambiguity, and darkness argumented to us from heaven? (laughs) In other words, did he write it in such a confusing way because we are confusing creatures, especially whenever God's looking at us? I mean, stop and think about this. I can illustrate Luther's point. The doctrine of clarity of Scripture is called perspicuity. So only man could come up with a word like that. to define the clarity of Scripture in a confusing word like purposicuity, right? I mean, that's what Luther's trying to say. He's saying, God's not gonna write Scripture in such a way because we're already ambiguous people, right? We're already that way. And more down to earth, more of a daily thing, when we think about Jesus' interactions with people as he walked the earth, did we ever see Jesus say, I know scripture's too hard. I know it's too hard to understand. You get a pass, pass on that one. No, he didn't. Either when speaking to scholars or to the common man, the misunderstanding is not placed on scriptures themselves, but on those who misunderstand or fail to accept what is written? So, in other words, Jesus didn't say, "Oh, I understand that these things." Now, when the Scripture He's talking about is the Old Testament, I understand that this is written in such a way and so confusing that you just get a pass and you don't have to obey that. No, He called out their hard hearts. He called out their their um, unbelief in what the Word of God says. In Matthew 12, 3, he says, he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? In 22, 29, he says, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scripture nor the power of God. So we see where Jesus, I mean, he said that little children will understand. What he says. I know that many times he did talk in parables, but that was for a purpose. But scripture is clear. We know the epistles were written to entire congregations. Many times they unrolled the scroll and they read it. This is what they did on Sunday morning, right? They they opened up the scroll kind of like Jesus did with Isaiah, right? He opened up the scroll and he reads Isaiah and he says, Today this has been fulfilled. And everybody in the congregation knew what they were saying. He was saying. That's kind of the, the, the way they did things. So, so Paul wrote them to the whole congregation, not just to the, the smart ones and not to the educated ones or anything like that. He wrote it to everybody so that we all can understand. Colossians 1, 2 says, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Paul even told him, guess what? Take those letters and then, and then share them so that everybody can get the teaching, right? In Colossians 4, 16, and when the letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church at La- Laodiceans. And see that they also read the letter from Laodicea. In other words, you guys swap your letters. So the scripture was written in such a way that it's clear that it can be understood by the common person. And you might be arguing in your brain, Joe, I try. <laughs> I try to read the Bible, but it's not all that clear. I, I just, I don't understand it. Like I read and read and read and try and read and I just don't understand it. But I, I think argue, uh, the, the scripture shows us that the ability to understand scripture rightly is more a moral and spiritual than intellectual issue. It's, it's more about spiritual spiritual and moral than it is intellectual. Scriptures are clear. The problem is usually with us. Right? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this goes back to whether or not the veil has been taking off or not. Are you born again? Because if you're not born again, you don't have the Spirit dwelling in you then scriptures is going to be hard to understand, truly understood. I know that there are some brilliant people out there that can can tell you all about this Bible, right? They can tell you what, the history. They can they can even get into things that like you never heard of, even though I've been sitting and listening to preaching for thirty years. But do they know that God? who wrote the Scripture. Or do they just know that this is a book that they can tear apart and put it in historical context and put it in literary context? But what our Word says, what the, what the Word of God says, is you don't know the God that wrote this Scripture unless you're born again. Right? That's the extreme. But I think we're spiritually Discerned or we're spiritually hindered if if we're we're consistently living in sin and but yet we're consistently trying to read our Bible without repenting. We're not going to understand the word. It's going to feel heavy, it's going to feel cold, it's going to feel distant until we repent, restore our communion with God, stop quenching the Spirit through our sin. And watch how the Spirit works in us so that we may understand the Word of God. I mean, there are some really basic things that we live in each and every day. Let me give you a simple example. And I'm going to share my misery with you right now. The Word of God says this. If you are angry with somebody, you have committed murder, okay? That anger is also whenever we say, I'm frustrated. That's my number one thing. I'm frustrated. No, you're angry, Soikos. You're sinning, right? You're frustrated. Um, I'm aggravated. Um, They annoy me. Um, All these things that we say on a daily basis, especially if we're married, Especially if we have kids. Especially if we have a little dog that won't listen to you. Well, if if the Word of God is true, if, if the Bible is true, if the Bible has authority, if it is the Word of God, then every time that we say, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, that person annoys me, I'm mad at you, I'm angry, we are singing against God. But how many times do we ever repent of that? Oh, yeah, we we repent of it when that anger turns into doing something stupid. We we know to repent of that. But Jesus said, if you're angry with somebody, now, are we believing the Bible or not? If you are angry with somebody, you have committed murder. That's what the Bible says. So we we go throughout our weeks and we're probably angry at 50 different people and we sit down to read our Bible and we're like, man, this is cold. This is distant. Why ain't I getting nothing from that? This is just one thing. This is why Luther always said that the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. (laughs) And repentance is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It is not like, oh, I need to repent. Oh, therefore I'm a bad Christian. No, you're a healthy Christian. If you're repenting consistently and often, so it's spiritual, it's moral. Because we have a loving and caring Father, Jesus said that He is sec- He's going to send a, us a helper to see Scripture, to understand Scripture, and that helper is the Holy Spirit. That's how loving and caring He is. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, in that same chapter of John 14, we know that, that Jesus is talking to the disciples there. So not only is, is that a, a promise for them, as later on, they're, other than Paul, obviously, later on as they're writing things down about who Jesus is, that the Holy Spirit is helping them remember all that he said. And there's, there's another promise in that chapter where it says the Holy Spirit will never say anything that he does not hear the Father say or hear Jesus say. So he's not going to mislead you or, or, or lead you astray. So let me ask you a question. Whenever we go, it's 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 morning or it's evening. Whenever you do your your Bible study, it, this is something that I often forget to do. Do we pause and say, "Okay, God, Your Word said that do You the Holy Spirit is dwelling in me. Will You help me understand what the Word of God says today?" It's like we have this untapped massive amount of power, in the sense, not that we can wield it whenever we want, like like. It's been misdone so badly. But we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to to even ask Him, Lord, help me through your Spirit understand what I'm about to read today. He will make it clear, because it is clear. Because these passages are important for not only the clarity of Scripture, as I said, but also for the authority of Scripture. Because we know that those men that wrote down much of the New Testament were were led by the Holy Spirit. That they listened to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit told them what to write. So not understanding Scripture is not a head issue, it is a heart issue. And God even helps us with that. Because, uh, brother and sister, let me just try to put this down too. Lay this down. You will not know everything that's in this Bible. Okay? What you need to know is what Jesus has done to get you to heaven. Right? Who the God is that that did everything by sending his son so that you get to heaven. What you must do to be saved. You could spend the rest of your life studying this and and because you change, not because the scriptures change. I I saw someone made a quote about that, that that the the Bible is this living thing that it changes all the time. It's like, no, you're missing the point. You're the one that's changing, the scripture stays the same. (laughs) He gives us to you. He loves you so much. It is clear to know what man must do to be saved. It is clear. It is clear. And I would even argue that that Daniel is going to argue that in the sufficiency, it is sufficient for everything that we face in life. Everything that we face in life. It is sufficient for that. Grudem sums it up well, the clarity of Scripture means that the Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who will read it seeking God's help and being willing to follow it. <laughs> the obedience part. You know, I, I've been pursuing my um, ACBC certification, which is um, biblical counseling Um And I'm in the phase right now of of where I need to observe. So, you know, I I don't have an ACBC certified counselor. There's one in Columbia and one in Pittsburgh. So it's kind of hard for me to go and sit in and observe. So they've provided, they knew this, because it's a a nationwide, even a worldwide network. Um, They've provided um, many uh, recorded sessions, right? And... As I have been observing, I have to do so many hours of observation in this first phase. I have three phases to go to, to be certified. In this observation, I am absolutely astounded at what the Word of God does in people's lives. Absolutely astounded. The first the first videos I watched was Danielle, who was a mom of three who struggled with this in... um, She just thought that everyone thought she was um, a large person, and by no means was she a large person. So again, I don't think Daniel's her real name, so I'm not divulging anything. Um, And and so what she would do, she would eat and then go and throw it up. Whenever she sat down with Caroline to counseling, she was so hostile... To even being there. God can't help me. The word of God can't help me. Nothing can help me. She looked like someone that's been running through the ringer, which I'm sure that's how she felt when she stepped into that counseling time in the video. So Caroline, all she did is she gave her scripture. Go read this. Repent of this sin. Tell your husband what you're doing because you're hiding it. And if you're hiding it, you can't confess it. And if you can't confess it, people can't forgive you and God can't forgive you. It's amazing how God's Word works. That's why it has authority. Because it actually works. So you see the video. She, she goes home. She comes back. She reports. And just in biblical counseling, you're always given homework. And the first thing you do when you come back is, is what did you do with your homework? So you see um, Danielle. She she Her countenance has changed a little bit. She's like, okay, well. Uh, I'm still doing this sin. I'm still doing this sin, but I did tell my husband. And my husband, all the things that I thought my husband thought about me was completely wrong. Right? He came alongside me. He's loving me through this. He's supporting me through this. Her countenance changed a little bit. And then you go a little bit further. She gives her more scripture. She dives into more sin. You need to repent of this. You need to, to, to focus in on this. This is your identity. This is what the Word of God says. You need to live this out. She so gave her three things to go work on. I think the last session might have had a little bit of time. There might have been a, a session or two in between. But brother and sister, that woman in the third video was not the same woman in the first video. And the only thing that happened was someone came alongside them, opened up the Word of God, said, This is what the Word of God says because he created everything, this is how he designed it, right? So therefore, if you line yourself up with the way that God designed it, she started changing. She was a different person, brother and sister. The woman in that third video was a complete different person in the first video. There was no miracle drugs, there was no nothing. There was one person Telling another person, this is what scripture says, it has authority. If you do what it says, it works for everybody. I there was a a couple that came in to counseling that I watched. And I had to turn it off five or six times because the dude sitting in the chair was me (laughs) before I was saved. He was arrogant, obnoxious. No, oh, he was just, a, not, I just wanted to hit the screen, right? But over time, you know, all, all Jim did, Jim Newheiser, all he did was give they give him scripture. And the guy, they go and, and they and they read the scripture and they do what it says and they repent and they come back and they're changed. That is the argument for authority of scripture. Is that it works every time. That God is the one who designed us. He designed the world around us. And then he wrote down in the word, okay, do this and don't do that. Yes. And by the way, I'll give you the spirit to help you do both. I will take away your biggest enemy, which is death. I'll give you the power to do so through the Holy Spirit. I have chosen you. I will not cast you out. You have complete assurance I'll be in heaven at the right hand of the fire, praying for you, interceding for you 24 hours a day to give you the power to overcome that sin. To me, this points us to a gigantic God and to the authority of His Word. Because every time it's tried, it works. Every time. Every time it's tried, it works. So I, I just have to beg the question, do you accept the Bible as the word of God, as the sole authority in all matters of faith and life? Is the whole of your thinking governed by Scripture? Is Scripture the authoritative truth that you live by each day? We can trust the Bible because it is God's very word We can understand the Bible because it's clear and we have the Holy Spirit helping us to do so. Jesus gave his life so that the veil can be removed and to make you a holy temple for the Spirit to dwell and so that you could lead you into all truth. God's truth. The word made flesh, Jesus Christ, and the word written down in the Bible. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for your word. (laughs) Father, I thank you, especially for your word made flesh in Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of who you are. And you loved us so much that you stepped out of heaven to come and get us. Father, help us to first acknowledge your presence. To acknowledge that you are with us all the time. And as we open up your word in those times we have to spend it with you, that we would ask for your help. Because your scriptures are clear. And more importantly, that we would ask for your help to obey them. Lord, I pray for those that may not know you today. Lord, I pray that we know that the Spirit can overcome a hard heart and change it. Lord, I pray that you have sent the Spirit to change someone today if need be. And Lord, I just pray for those who have been walking and stumbling just as I have. Lord, I pray that we would have encouragement today that we have a great big God that cared us so much to write down how he created everything and how he designed everything and how it all works. But if we would listen and follow and obey, I pray that you would just help us do that, Lord. Help us do that each day. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.